Steve, happy Monday. How goes it? Uh, pretty dang good, man. Pretty dang good. Got uh, two months till uh, my little uh, baby son's born, so things are like kind of mom's uh, getting stuff ready, and we've been building cribs and dressers and just kind of <laughs> going through that routine. So going through all the uh, my daughter's you know clothes and seeing which ones we can uh, keep and repurpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it's good, man. <laughs> I remember it because we had a girl first and then had my son. I remember there were certain days where it was like, yeah, we're not leaving the house. You're wearing the pink, like, whatever, unicorn onesie. I don't know. <laughs> like, sorry, kid. You've crept through everything else. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's funny. Cool. Well, we uh, mainly in this Monday Minute wanted to follow up on... Uh, episode 164 that we did, which uh, was about the horse accident, pushing SOS. Uh, we got so many responses to that episode, which we typically get responses to episodes, but this one was like at another level. Um, we had listeners emailing in with questions and more information and, hey, did you guys think about this? Or you should mention that. Uh, and there's a lot of good information just in the feedback from you guys, from the listeners. So we just wanted to kind of recap and share some of that um, stuff out there. We had even stories, similar stories from other listeners. Um, so it's pretty wild when you get into a topic like that and you think like it was a pretty rare occurrence and thankfully it is for the most part. Yet at the same time, there's guys out there who've been in similar situations on one side or the other. We had medevac people reach out to us with like information from their side. So it was just pretty interesting to hear how far reaching that topic was. Um, which I guess, you know, given our audience, shouldn't be too surprising, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just to start with, I will say we heard from um, a couple uh, workers from Search and Rescue. And I was kind of curious, and I mentioned this before, you know, that there's been a lot of maybe abuse. And I don't want to say a lot, but there's been some abuse of like a spot or an in-reach with basically people calling when they either don't truly need help or they do need help, but it was just because they've done something incredibly stupid and not like an emergency. Um, but more of like they went into something unprepared. And so I was just always curious about how first responders and backcountry first responders felt about these devices. But it was, it was good to hear from several SAR folks about how much an in-reach type device or a spot type device actually helps them, um, especially when it comes to pinpointing locations, which I didn't think about this specifically, but if you think about before these devices, you might go on a call and you know a general vicinity of where someone's at, like on a mountain or in a, let's call it square radius of somewhere. Um, but with these devices, it's pretty much, here's your Latin longitude, here's exactly where they're at, which from a, a response perspective, I'm sure helps a, trend, a tremendous amount, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, some of those guys in terms of search and rescue also said, you know, there's this hesitation of pushing the button for cost reasons, uh, probably primarily, and we'll get the costs here in a bit, but they said, basically, if you think it's needed, or if you're questioning, if it's needed, if it's a serious enough issue where you're really thinking about pushing the button, it's probably best to push the button, um, and depending on the capabilities of your device, especially if you have two-way communication, like with an in-reach, you know, you, you can always cancel that essentially if needed. But just keep in mind that 
if you wait too long, the situation could just get worse and worse and worse. And there is a scenario where you can't always anticipate, like with the story we talked about with the horse accident, that the response is going to be there in 20 or 30 minutes. There's other circumstances that could dictate it's longer. And so um, basically a lot of these first responders that we heard from were saying they understand the hesitation. You don't want to uh, cry wolf, essentially. You don't want to um, summons this resource and potentially this charge, but at the same time, think about it clearly, um, in terms of the actual medical need and especially in a, any sort of injury that could be somewhat life threatening. Basically they said, push the button sooner rather than later. So it was interesting to hear from Mm. those folks and get their take on these devices. And overall, they seem like a super positive thing. Yeah, I guess I'm sure there's depending on the situation and obviously the um, the guy we had on, they, they responded pretty quickly. But there's probably a legitimate, you know, I don't know if it's half an hour or two hours before you push that button, something can happen. You know, if you're depending on where you're at and communication with the with search and rescue. So it's like, yeah, if you if you think you are getting close uh, and, you know, to pushing that button. And you're not sure how things are going to be in an hour. Maybe maybe you push it, and like you said, you've got the two-way communication. So uh, if things improve over the next hour or something, I don't know if that's good advice, but uh, it seems like it might make some sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of costs, we had several folks uh, reach out with some level of information on costs and insurance, which we'll get into, because uh, that's not something that we covered very specific in that story. Um I still hesitate with cost because I, I there's not one, um, there's not one rule here. We're dealing with different states, different organizations, um, different government entities as well as a private entities. Um, but with the feedback that we got, as well as some of the research that I did, there were some helpful. Um, I don't even want to call them rules, but some helpful guidelines um, to consider. So. Um, First of all, search and rescue itself is typically free. Um, So search and rescue teams are funded by taxes in many instances, as well as some private um, level of both donations, as well as fundraisers and things like that. So if you're just talking like search and rescue in general, a lot of times um, from what I was told, both from SAR professionals, as well as some research, a lot of times that that's going to be free. The big crazy bills do come in with air ambulances, and a lot of times those are private-run entities, um, those air responses and air medical transport ambulances. they Those charges, again, if you're taken for medical care, you're looking at a lot of times 20K easy. Sometimes, and it sounded like more often from what I was told, up between like 30 and 40K um, if you're actually transported to the hospital. So like in the story we talked about with episode 164, um, you know, that air transport with EMTs, they came, they got him, but he wasn't taken to the hospital. There was no charge. It sounds like that that's kind of, I don't want to say common, but that's kind of the rule. And again, I hesitate to say rule, but I did hear this from multiple people. If you're not taken to the hospital to medical care, um, and we actually had another even listener story, very similar situation. Um, they were picked up on the mountain. They were assessed on the mountain. 
It was deemed that they didn't need to be taken to the hospital. They chose not to go to the hospital. Um, this air ambulance actually did the same thing it did for the story in episode 164, took them down off the mountain back to their vehicle, and there was no charge. But if you go to the hospital, you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars for sure. So that was pretty fascinating to me. That's um, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, we, we're not saying this to go get yourself in a bad situation, call an air ambulance and just basically ask for a ride to your truck. Like obviously listeners use common sense and don't hear us saying that. We're just trying to relay the information about when you were actually charged and what those charges might be. Um, we did hear from someone as well that basically, I think in the episode, Steve, you had asked the question about the hoist or if they were prepared mm-hmm. to like hoist up to the helicopter versus landing. And obviously there's, plenty of situations where if you're immobile and can't get to a landing zone and hel- a helicopter might not be able to land and get to you. So hoist situation um, comes into play from what I was told. Life flight is the only private um, like air ambulance or air response medevac type private um, company that actually is equipped with the hoist. And then mm-hmm. there are some others that could be summoned uh, more at the federal level, like the national guard. Um, could also be equipped for that. So I thought that that was really interesting to know as well, that if it's, you know, other services, and I think from what I was told, Life Flight's based in Utah, and I'm not sure what the response radius is, but it sounds like there's plenty of what's called air ambulance services that aren't equipped with a hoist at all. So you would be, uh, you would need to get to a, a helicopter-friendly landing zone in those cases. We should uh, follow up on that with a with a helicopter pilot. Like, what are you looking for? What do you need? You know, do you yeah. need a fifty yard by fifty yard area? Or I mean, I remember the in the episode he was talking about it was, it was a fairly small area that they got into. So, right, uh, that'd be obviously good uh, knowledge to have. Yeah, for sure. So we had questions and some information sent on the insurance. I looked at the Garmin insurance specifically. Um, you know, that is optional with an in-reach, like with your subscription service in terms of communications. So they have two different plans, uh, which I didn't quite realize how these worked. So it was interesting to look at them. I'm glad I did. The cheapest plan is $18 a year, uh, and it provides up to $100,000 a year in coverage, which I think was up to $50,000 per incident. And it is only for essentially search and rescue. So we talked about earlier, a lot of search and rescue response is free, but I guess there's instances where if there's search and rescue capabilities outside of what is typical from the local search and rescue, essentially with this insurance, I think what it sounded like they could basically escalate and kind of extend and bring in additional resources or equipment that might not be available to local search and rescue essentially. But it doesn't cover medevac, so like an air ambulance. So this is really important to keep in mind. If you're buying the cheaper plan from Garmin, and you, it sounds like from everything I saw, if you still have that thirty to forty thousand dollar flight to the hospital, the cheaper insurance does not cover that. They do have their next plan, which I think clearly says medevac on it, and it's basically a hundred and thirty dollars a year for U.S. coverage, or $175 a year for international coverage. And it's going to provide up to $1 million in coverage. It includes the medevac, um, both from field to a local 
uh, medical facility. And then it also said from that medical facility to your home medical facility. So in the instance, you have to fly to the closest place for, you know, emergency care, trauma care, that type of thing. It sounds like it would also then transport you maybe once you're stable, um, obviously, to a medical facility close to home. And that would all be covered under that plan, which, again, is $130 a year for U.S. coverage or $175 a year for international coverage. Another really interesting thing to note on that is it very clearly says in there, this benefit is only for you, the person purchasing that benefit, and it does not cover anyone else using your inReach. So if you and I were out, Steve, you say like, say it's the two of us, you have your inReach, you have your insurance, I go down, I'm on the hook because I don't hold the insurance policy. Right. It would only cover you personally. So that's really interesting to keep in note as well. I wonder if there's, um, I'm sure there is like outside places, you know, different different places you could buy similar insurance. Yeah. So we actually, or you can just get it through your, you know, through farmers or state farm or something. I yeah. So we did hear from, from some folks on that as well. Um, one of what, one of them was really interesting. We actually heard from a, a current Navy SEAL who a former SEAL that he knows started a company after his service days that does all kinds of things, um, security and things like that. But one of the services that this seal offers under his company, it's called ripcord rescue travel insurance. And so it's essentially like a private version of this Garmin insurance, but it doesn't rely solely on, uh, public entities. So they have private capabilities and you actually get a quote for your trip specifically in terms of where you will be, how many days you will be there, what type of coverage you need, and et cetera. And so that's a more customized approach. But there are, just so folks know, outside of like the Garmin, the only thing we've been talking about, um, there's definitely private entities that offer that type of insurance. And it sounds like some of those private entities have their own capabilities in terms of they will be the one actually providing the resources, which is really interesting. And I think that especially if you're going internationally, that probably makes more sense. But yeah, there's definitely options to look at, which I don't know. Like I, I was thinking about it too. If you got a guy who's going on especially an international hunt, like what's another $200, right, to be covered for something like this um, if you're already spending thousands? So not, I won't want to say cheap, but compared to like, let's say if you're international and have some sort of issue, I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars at that point in terms of care. Yeah. Um, just some final notes on that. Again, just good information that was passed along from our listeners. We actually had a guy who is a um, former FBI SWAT uh, tactical EMT, and he basically suggested that everyone, whether you're on a solo hunt or a multiple, a multiple person hunt, Everyone should basically carry like a waterproof laminated card with the full name, date of birth, um, known medical issues, known allergies, and emergency contacts on you, uh, which I think is a great idea. I, just, just alone for allergies. Obviously, other medical issues would be good to know. But I mean, Steve and I, if we're out hunting, like we know who to contact for you know, emergency contact, but I have no idea what the heck you're allergic to, or if you have some sort of 
crazy medical thing you've never told me about, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So that was just good to keep in mind. It's Again, it's on a group hunt, yes, but especially on a solo hunt. I mean, God forbid something happens and someone finds you or you need help from a stranger. Um, they need to know who you are, your age, any issues, allergies, and who to contact. So that was really, really good advice to make sure that you have that card and how easy would that be to put together and just keep it in your pack or keep it, you know, and whatever's with you, your bino harness, I don't know, but just keep that yeah. with you when you're in the back country. Yeah. I, I imagine that's, you know, yeah. It's like, obviously my wallet and driver's license is, I'd never pack that with me. That's always just left in the locked in the truck or something, you know? So there's, yeah, if I was by myself, I've never thought of that. I don't have, I wouldn't have anything on me. My, I guess my hunter, my um, my hunting license and my tag probably has my name on it. So, but yeah, I imagine that's. I never thought of that scenario. If, if you're, un, you know, you push the button and you're by yourself and you're unconscious and they fly in and they got, you know, well, they get, they'll be able to figure out your name because it would be tied to your inreach or something. But yeah. anyways, yeah, yeah. But allergies. I'm sure, there, I'm sure there's situations where they're rummaging through, you know, somebody's pockets and pack and stuff, trying to find some ID, some information about who the person is. Cool. So anyway, I just, it was interesting how many responses we got to that, both of, Hey guys, thanks for the episode, that type of thing. But just guys reaching out with helpful tidbits about insurance and those little, um, things like the medical cards. It's just good stuff to keep in mind. So again, it was, um, it sounds like it's something where we're beating some sort of drum on like making a commercial for in reach because that's what we've been saying because that's what we're using but again there's no affiliation there it's just one of these things that if you don't have something like an in reach i want you to say an in reach something like an in reach and you're going to be taking backcountry trips like don't be that guy that thinks it won't or can't happen to you yeah man i it's well say it i've said it a thousand times i'll keep saying it man it's the best thing i've put in my pack in a long time uh, just that peace of mind especially you know once you become a, a dad and you got other priorities in life, you know, just absolutely worth having. And I, and I hunt, I just, for me on a solo hunt, I was always, um, you know, I just slow down a little bit more, right? Just, you, you are back there. If you jump on a, a rock in a boulder field or something, that's a little loose and break your ankle. That's a different scenario than when your buddy's sitting there right next to it and can help you get out. So I always hunted, um, definitely slower, more cautiously when I was solo um, and so that was kind of always, it's always in your mind. It's always present, right. Of, of being extra safe out there. Um, and, uh, once I put that in reach, you know, not that I'm reckless, but it's, you're just more relaxed and, and I feel like I can actually enjoy the hunt more cause you're just not constantly, uh, or, you know, maybe some guys don't ever think about it. I did if something were to happen. Um, but you know, just more relaxed and enjoy the hunt more. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll wrap it up with, uh, with that on that whole topic of you know in reach and sos and um we will as well just to throw it out there you know we did we did that previous episode somewhat recently on first aid and really got into what what do we what don't we need and even from that episode there's a lot of personal decisions to make there there's no hard and fast rule but we're actually working as well on publishing some um some first aid kit maybe checklists again not to tell you exactly what you should have but to give you some ideas so if guys are, you know, if you're interested in that topic um, of just first aid, backcountry medicine, that type of thing, there will be more to come on that as well. Also, don't forget, guys, the uh, the March giveaway for the podcast. So 
this month, you can win a tight spot quiver of your choice or a ripcord arrow rest of your choice. To enter, just go to exomontgear.com forward slash podcast and look for the giveaway link. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you on Wednesday with a new full-length episode. Be sure to hit subscribe if you haven't already.